Our text for this afternoon is going to be John chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 30 through 38, and this is the word of Almighty God. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Pray with me, friends. God, our deep desire is that you will accomplish your will today in your word. We would pray, Lord, that you would do what you want in our hearts and in our lives. That you would glorify your name, that you would accomplish salvation for many. Fact is, Lord, we must submit to your word or we submit to nothing. So I pray that today we'll submit to your word and the truth it teaches us. That's our prayer, our heart cry in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Just who do you think you are? Huh? You're not going to answer me, are you? Ben? There you go. (laughs) See, Ben's always here for me. No. A couple weeks ago, we suggested that that would be the question, who do you think you are? That's the question that the religious teachers, they would have wanted to ask Jesus, right? Because Jesus healed a man on a Sabbath day, told the man to get up, carry his mat, and go away, and the religious teachers were offended because they felt like that was breaking the Sabbath regulations to let the guy carry a little straw mat away from where he had been sitting as an invalid But Jesus made it clear to them that he has the same right as God the Father to work on the Sabbath. By the way, what do y'all think we call somebody who says that they have the same right to do the thing that only God has the right to do? Jesus claimed right there to be God, folks. Now from verses 19 to 29, we saw Jesus repeat His claim to be God, God the Son, God in the flesh. How? Jesus claimed, get this, to do the things that God does, verse 19, to know the things that God knows, verse 20, to have God's power over death, verses 21, 25, 28, 29, to have the right of God and God only to judge, verses 22 and 27, to deserve the same honor as God the Father, uh, which is verse 23, 
he claimed that believing Jesus is to believe God, verse 24, and he said, he claimed that he has life in himself as only God can have life in himself, verse 26. So guys, there's no question about who Jesus Christ believes himself to be. Jesus believes himself to be God. And now that we know what Jesus is claiming about himself, the next question we have to ask is, one, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to believe him or not? But the next question that the, the religious teachers might have wanted to ask is this. Says who? Right? Have you ever had somebody claim something to you and you've wanted to respond with, who says? Who, who, who would agree with you, you crazy, crazy person? Who will testify to the truth of who Jesus is? What do we do with that testimony? That's what we're getting into today. We're going to find the first right now of four points for today. First point, point number one, believe in Jesus. Even the youngest of you can write that one down, right? Point number one, believe in Jesus. This is the overarching point for the sermon. This is the overarching point for the gospel according to John. And here it starts us off with what we're going to see here. Verses 30 through 32, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Is Jesus the only one who believes Jesus to be divine? Today, we start a two-part look at several witnesses to Jesus. You know, like a man making a case in a courtroom, Jesus is going to call five witnesses to testify to the truth of his claim. Who will he call? John the Baptist, Jesus' miracles, God the Father, the Holy Scriptures, and Moses. That's the, that's the defense's uh, witness lineup. We're going to cover the first three of those today. Lord willing, we'll get the next two next week. But like I said, the overarching point for this whole section is that God wants you and me to believe in Jesus's deity, Jesus being God in the flesh. Because if we do that, we will believe Jesus and we will find life in Jesus's name. That's what the Savior wants from us today. So for the second time in Jesus's sermon about himself, This is a whole little sermon section from Jesus here. Jesus points out to us in verse 30 that what he's doing is not a thing he's doing all on his own. All that Jesus has claimed so far about his knowledge, about his miracles, about his power, even his right to judge, Jesus says, this is not something I'm having all by myself. Verses 28 and 29, Jesus claimed he would raise the dead. He would be the judge over all people. But lest you and I think that Jesus is setting himself up against God the Father, Jesus tells us, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now right there, Jesus is not saying to us, I'm less than God the Father. 
Instead, Jesus is telling us that the things that he's doing, the things that he will do, he will do in perfect unity with God the Father. There's no division of will in the persons of the Holy Trinity. That which the Father willed will always be in perfect unity and keeping with what God the Son wills and with what the God, what God the Holy Spirit wills. These are not three separate wills, but one will of God. And this is all bound up in the mystery of the Trinity we covered the last couple of times I preached. God is one God, three persons. Now, if you let yourself think about the opposite of Jesus' statement, you'll better understand Jesus here. What would Jesus have been saying if the Savior said to us, I'm doing all this stuff on my own without the Father. See, that would be Jesus communicating to us as to make us think that there are three gods and not one. Gods who might do different things than the other wills. But the Bible's clear there is only one God. At the same time, if Jesus did not point out he's doing the will of another and not merely his own will, if he didn't say he's doing the will of him who sent me, then we might not grasp the biblical truth that the one God eternally subsists in three persons. So the words that Jesus uses here are absolutely perfectly in keeping with true Trinitarian theology. Now verse 31 Jesus declares that if he is the only one who testifies about his deity, his being God in the flesh, something's wrong. If there's no God the Father to amen the word of God the Son, then Jesus cannot actually be the Son of God. In order for what Jesus to have told us all through chapter 5 to be true, that truth must be acknowledged by God the Father. Not to say that the Father brings truth to an otherwise untrue claim. It says that Jesus' claim includes the agreement of the Father. And then when in verse 32, Jesus says to us, there is one who testifies on his behalf, one whose testimony, testimony he is sure is true. We know Jesus is going to point out the claim of God the Father. Jesus is going to list other people who will testify about him here. But everything Jesus points to in the next several verses, from verse 30 all the way to 47, he's pointing to the witness of God the Father. Now, like I said, all this thought, this story, this, this speaking of bearing witness, the speaking of testimony and testifying, it ought to stir up in your mind a courtroom scene. And Jesus is about to play out a little courtroom drama to show us that he's telling the truth about himself while the religious teachers stand opposed to God. Back in the Old Testament, God made it clear legal claims need to be established with the testimony of two or three witnesses. And though Jesus doesn't need witnesses to be telling the truth, he's going to call witnesses that he might prove his case. So, before we look at the witnesses, though, I want to ask you to consider what I said to you earlier is the first point, the overarching point. Believe in Jesus. 
Friends, we're reading the word of Almighty God. What we're reading is perfect and inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. It is the very God-breathed word intended to convict us of sin and convince us about Jesus and change our very lives. As John recorded the very words of Jesus under the inspiration of God, John knew he wanted people to read these words and believe. Look at John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God calls on us, on you, right here, right now, right wherever you are, to believe in Jesus. Children, God calls on you to believe in Jesus. God wants us to believe in Jesus in such a way that we have life, true life, spiritual life, forever life in Jesus' holy name. And what we're going to study today, it's not just a set of facts. What we're studying is the speaking of God that says to you, believe me, believe in my son, trust me, find life and forgiveness in Jesus. If you don't know where you stand before God, or if you've never put your faith in Jesus, understand what we're talking about here is the state of your soul forever. You will have either heaven or hell as your eternal destination. And the only way you can have heaven is for you to come to Jesus in faith and repentance. That means you believe Jesus. You believe that Jesus is God. You believe that Jesus came to live a perfect human life, die for your sins, rise from the grave, you believe that Jesus has both the ability and the willingness to forgive even you. You decide you'd rather follow Jesus and live for him and let him be in control of your life. You'd rather do that and live than die forever. And when you believe in Jesus, I think you're going to talk to him. You're going to pray. You're going to tell him, Jesus, I believe in you. You're going to tell him, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. You're going to ask him to forgive your sin, to save your soul, to be the Lord over your life from now on. Turn from sin, trust in Jesus, and be saved. That's the call of God. Does that make sense to you guys? I pray that all who hear this will believe in Jesus for salvation. And I expect that most of you here have already put your faith in Jesus. So what would the call be for you, you think? How about this one? For you who already believe in Jesus, you ready for your point? Believe in Jesus. Don't let the stunning identity of the Son of God fade from reality in your mind. Don't let your commitment to Jesus grow cold. Believe. 
Love Jesus. Surrender to Jesus and his word in all things. Now, let's go forward and let's see the witnesses Jesus calls on his behalf. Point number two, which is witness number one, believe the witness of John the Baptist. Believe the witness of John the Baptist. That is not the John who wrote this book. John chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus said, You sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. So in the case of the Son of God versus the religious teachers, Jesus calls to the stand as witness number one, John the Baptist. At the time Jesus mentions John, John might here already be in prison under the evil King Herod. John the Baptist is probably about to face, if he hasn't already faced it, his execution, his unjust execution. But whether they liked him or not, the religious teachers knew John the Baptist was somebody of importance. Back in the Gospel of John chapter 1, the religious teachers sent a delegation on a little fact-finding mission to find out just who John the Baptist was. See, John was having the kind of impact on Israel that no teacher had seen for four centuries. People were wondering, could he be the Messiah? Could he be the promised one from God? And when the teachers came to John the Baptist, he immediately said to them that he's not the Messiah. He's not the prophet Elijah come back to earth. John told the men who came to see him that his job as a prophet of God is to tell Israel to get ready for the arrival of of the one God has promised. You know, if, if you live very long, if you travel many places, you will meet interesting folks. Isn't that true? Have you met somebody in Las Vegas? You thought, wow, what a fascinating thing to meet that dude. I've, I've had a few. I've had a, had a couple of weird instances. I met a lady in a swimming pool once who her husband used to run a recording studio for Metallica. I didn't know. You Christians don't know who that is, but that was a, that's a rock band. <laughs> Bunch of liars. I have, uh, on a few occasions, met agents of the United States Secret Service or people who work with them. Now, you guys know, right, Secret Service's job is to protect, one of their jobs is to protect the president and the vice president of the United States. And so when one of the chief executives is going to go, going to, go to a location, going to travel to a city, a Secret Service team will go there ahead of time. They, they call them the advance team, right? And they, they work with local law enforcement and, and with other organizations to be sure that the visit of the president is safe and, and smooth. When I was in college, we actually had a sitting U.S. president come to give a speech on campus, and it was interesting because about two weeks before that presidential visit, all these new students showed up. And they were all men with short haircuts and were really in shape jogging around campus. <laughs> Turns out they were there to make sure that President Clinton had an okay time. Well, John the Baptist, he was telling the religious leaders, he's the advance team for Jesus. Now, John didn't come to make things safe for Jesus. 
John came to call on Israel to get ready to prepare themselves to meet God. He told them, turn away from your sins, repent, be ready. The promised one, the Christ, is coming. Now, besides John the Baptist calling Israel to repent and to be ready for God to show up, John's mission also included identifying for others to see the Son of God once he arrived. So look at John 1, 29 to 34. Here's John's own testimony. The next day, this is the day after the fact-finding mission came to John the Baptist. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes the man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So just after the delegation asks John, Who are you? John points Jesus out to the people around him. John called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, you know, even though Jesus is showing up on the scene after me, he outranks me. John says, even though I was born three months before Jesus was born, he existed before me, which makes sense because Jesus is the eternal God who one day took on flesh. And John the Baptist says one of the reasons that he baptized was the purpose that he would reveal the Christ through baptism. And if you know your New Testament, you know when John baptized Jesus, what happened? The Spirit of God descended from the heavens to Jesus in a visible way. He told John by that action, John, that's the one you've been waiting for. The voice of God the Father spoke from heaven to declare Jesus to be God's beloved Son. And John wraps up this testimony to the Jewish delegation by saying, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's powerful testimony right there. And all of John's actions later point to the fact that John sincerely believed what he was saying. Later in chapter 1, John will point to Jesus and he will let Andrew, one of his disciples, and the John who wrote the Gospel of John, leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Chapter 3, John the Baptist clearly speaks of himself as one whose mission is to point people to Jesus. He says, Jesus, he must increase while I must decrease. Then, in John 5, 34 and 35, Jesus goes on to tell us about John's testimony. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things, things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. and You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Jesus here is pretty careful to make sure that the religious teachers know 
that Jesus is not relying on John for his authority. John's testimony does not make Jesus God's son. John bears witness to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus doesn't need John's testimony. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is not somehow benefited or increased by the testimony of a man. The creator is not made greater by the creature. But the reason Jesus points out John the Baptist's witness to his identity is for the benefit of his hearers. Maybe those who are not sure what to think about Jesus will hear John's testimony and start to think. Maybe they'll think to themselves, hey, John the Baptist believed in Jesus as God's son. Maybe I should think about him too. Some people who hear Jesus talking here will hear and be saved. This, by the way, little side-ish note, if you will, this is how I think about the field of apologetics. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the word apologetics. In, in Greek, apolo, apologia, don't call it apologia, that's a mispronunciation. Apologia is a, to make a defense for something. The field of apologetics is to learn, is to present a reasoned defense for the Christian faith. And I do not believe in any way that a good argument will change the heart of a skeptic. But I do believe that a good argument might help make a skeptic listen to you as you present the gospel. And the Spirit of God can do the rest. Apologetics can sometimes break down a person's barrier to listening to you. And I think that Jesus is doing something very similar here. He uses the testimony of John to get some of the people around him to listen to the claims he's making. And as Jesus wraps up the first witness's testimony, Jesus speaks about John the Baptist as a burning and shining lamp. John wasn't somebody shining light on himself. He wasn't trying to get in the spotlight. John was shining his light on Jesus to point Jesus out for everybody to see. And for a time, even the religious teachers were willing to rejoice in John's claim that God's promised one was on the way. John the Baptist was a prophet of God. He saw and heard God clearly identify Jesus as God's beloved son. John lived to tell other people about Jesus. And John, as a witness, would say to you and to me that we must believe in Jesus. Now, before I leave this witness for the second one, I want to ask that you who know Jesus learn something else from John. He pointed people to Jesus. He was a shining lamp for the glory of God. Dear friends, if we know Jesus believe in Jesus, love Jesus, we must point others to Jesus too. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May we look for ways to shine a light on the truth of the Savior. We need to tell folks Jesus is God's Son. We need to tell folks that Jesus is their only hope. We need to call on people to turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Let's be witnesses. Speaking of witnesses to Jesus, let's go to see the second witness for today. Point number three, witness number two, believe the witness of Jesus' miracles. Believe the witness of Jesus' miracles. Look at 36, it says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John the Baptist had been sent by God the Father to testify about Jesus, and now Jesus points to his own miracles as a united witness to the fact that Jesus is exactly who Jesus claims to be. He's God in flesh, sent to earth by God the Father. The second witness... Jesus says the second witness is, in his estimation, a greater witness than John the Baptist. The works Jesus has come to accomplish, works God sent him to do, they make a case for the identity of Jesus. So you've got to ask yourself, what are the works Jesus is accomplishing? What do you think? Should we go big grand scale or little small scale here? You don't care, do you? I'm going to do both. It doesn't matter. So let's go grand scale. What's the the work Jesus would do? Jesus came to be the promised Savior that we need so that we might be right with God. What do we know about God? God is absolutely perfect. And if you and I want to meet the standard of God that we might be right with God, we must be perfect too. You know that you're not perfect, right? Matthew chapter 5, 48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what that verse means? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's what it means. And none of us can live up to that, can we? Not on our own. We've never lived up to that perfection. So for Jesus to rescue us, one of the things Jesus has to do is as our representative before God, he has to live out the perfection you and I have never lived. And as our perfect representative, Jesus has to apply his perfection to your account. Also, because we failed to live up to the perfection of God, the penalty for our failure has to be paid Jesus, as the infinitely worthy Son of God, died as a sacrificial substitute for us. He suffered the wrath of God for sins he didn't commit. In fact, get this, the amount of suffering that the Father gave to Jesus on the cross has to be equal to an eternity in hell for every single one of the people Jesus would save. How's that for a weighty punishment. Thus, Jesus died. And he proved that God is perfectly just, that he perfectly deals with all sins, 
and that he can be both merciful and just at the same time. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26 tell this story. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, as an offering for sin by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, get this, God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Or one of my favorite Bible verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this is the gospel. You recognize it? Could you tell somebody about it? Jesus lived the perfection you have never and could never live. Jesus died a death you could never survive. And Jesus rose from the grave and proved his work was finished. That Jesus is God's son. That Jesus is worthy of your faith. That Jesus is worthy of your praise. Come to him and be saved. Live for him and find joy. That's the big scale. But that also might have been a total side point. Because when Jesus is speaking here about the works that he came to do, that testified to the fact that he is who he claims to be, he probably wasn't trying to make the religious teachers understand his whole mission. That'll come later. More likely, in this context, Jesus was telling the religious leaders around him that the miraculous works that he has performed in front of the eyes of many people testify to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. I told you guys before that the gospel according to John, it's arranged neatly. There are seven signs, there are seven sayings, there are seven sermons. Part of the structure of John's gospel is that there are seven signs, seven major miracles of Jesus turning water to wine, healing a man's servant from miles away, healing a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, giving sight to a man born blind, and raising Lazarus from the dead. Those are the seven miracles, the seven signs in John. Here in chapter 5, at this point, the religious teachers already would know about Jesus turning water to wine. They would know about him healing the man's servant from miles away. And they would know about a lot of miracles John has named. He, wouldn't, he didn't tell us what they were, but he's pointed them out at the end of uh, John chapter 2 when Jesus was at Jerusalem. He did other miracles that aren't listed. And here in chapter 5, the conversation Jesus is having is precipitated by Jesus healing a paralyzed man and sending him away carrying his mat on a Sabbath day. How do those things, how do those miracles testify to Jesus? Well, Jesus is doing things only God can do. 
Jesus is doing things that God promised he would do in the kingdom of God. All those miracles point to somebody who's come, who can push back the curse of the fall of man. What does sin bring to us? The wages of sin is? So when Jesus does a miracle that rescues someone from death and heals a broken body, you know what he's doing? He's pushing back death, showing you that he has the power to defeat death itself. Jesus turned water to wine. And that should remind you of the promise of God that one day he will lift the curse that is on this earth and he will transform nature itself to something perfect and sweet. Ordinary men cannot do what Jesus has done. That Jesus can testifies that he is from God the Father and that he is personally God in the flesh. These things call us to believe in Jesus. Now, fourth point, last one, and it won't take long. Believe the witness of God the Father. Believe the witness of God the Father. Still with me so far? Okay, John 5, 37, 38. And the Father who sent me has, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. At the apex of his argument, friends, Jesus calls as a witness God the Father. Of course, all along Jesus has been pointing to God the Father. John the Baptist was sent by God the Father. The works Jesus has done were given him by the Father to do, and they proved that he was sent by the Father. But here, Jesus tells the religious teachers that God the Father has borne witness about him. What's he talking about? Well, in the most literal sense, God the Father bore witness to Jesus at Jesus' baptism. Now, it's interesting, John, the gospel writer, didn't actually record for us the actual baptism scene of Jesus. He recorded John the Baptist talking about baptizing Jesus. But that seems well known to the people who read John's gospel. And you know it too, right? Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. John the Baptist told us all about that. Then this part. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Simple terms here, guys. God the Father calls Jesus his beloved son. He says Jesus is someone with whom the Father is well pleased. Jesus is living out God-pleasing perfection, and he will faithfully do so. Jesus is God's son, God in flesh. He is of the same substance as the Father. He is very God of very God. Jesus says none of those Jewish teachers who were arguing against him have ever heard God's voice. They've never seen God's form. Even worse, none of them have the word of God living in them because they do not believe in Jesus, the one God has sent. Jesus is saying they don't know God and they don't treasure God's word if they don't know Jesus. And what's the point of all this? From the lips of the Savior. What I tell you is the overarching point. Believe in Jesus. Believe the witness of John the Baptist. Believe the witness of Jesus' miracles. Believe the witness of God the Father. 
What happens if you believe? If you believe, your very life and your very eternity will be changed. Belief in Jesus will cause you to turn away from sin and surrender your life to God. Belief in Jesus will gain you the forgiveness of God. Belief in Jesus will change what you value. Belief in Jesus will show you how to find joy. If you know Jesus, you know God. If you don't know Jesus, you do not know God. You want life? You want forgiveness? You want hope? Believe in Jesus and center your life on him. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, even now, we find ourselves in need of you to do miracles that only you can do. And I ask you to do the miracle today of helping us to believe in Jesus. Help those who do not yet know Jesus to believe and found soul-saving faith. Help those who do already know Jesus believe and find hope and joy and a call to worship and encouragement and the willingness to obey. Help us, Lord, believe for life. Strengthen the faith of those who need faith strengthened. Call us to repentance from sin. Do what only you can do. and Be magnified in your church. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.